everyone. Here's your Bibles. We're going to look at John chapter 5, verses 1 through 14. John chapter 5, verses 1 through 14. It's good to see the students back. You guys excited for a new semester? seem more head shaking than nodding. Um, well, suffering's always good for us. Okay, John chapter 5, verses 1 through 14. Uh, the title of the sermon is, Do You Want to Be Healed? Do you want to be healed? Uh, let me pray for us first. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we can constantly read it, uh, hear it, understand it, live by it, um, so that we can be in the uh, plan and purpose aligned with your will and purpose for our lives. Uh, speak to us through your word. We depend on you. And we pray that no matter where we are, what we're going through, we ask that your living word would speak to us and minister to our hearts. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so here we are at the beginning of a, a new semester for students. And what that means is we're starting our fall, uh, spring semester life groups again. And uh, that starts this coming week. We meet together um, and uh, catch up on our winter breaks and encourage one another for this new semester. We're going to continue on in the study of the Gospel of John. And, uh, and that's what we're doing. We're resuming our study of John, picking up from, from chapter 5. And so if you remember um, from what we've talked about previously, the Gospel of John is written, John himself tells us, so that you may know who Jesus is, so that you may know that Jesus is the Christ, and by believing in him, you can have eternal life. And much of the narratives is about that, revealing to us who Jesus is through his word, through his works, so that we would place our faith in him. And by that placing of faith in Jesus Christ, uh, we can go from death to life. And, uh, and we see an example of that again here in this passage, through the healing of this, this man, um, how Jesus works to bring life uh, to sinners. Okay, so, so we'll see that through this text. Uh, we'll talk about three things. The incapable invalid. The incapable invalid. Secondly, the instant healing. And the third, and thirdly, the Sabbath police. Okay. So, the incapable invalid. Verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. So typically, when Jesus goes to Jerusalem, that means he's going to encounter religious leaders and, and uh, things like that. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roof colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. Uh, so this word invalid could refer to many things. This passage also tells us that blind, lame, paralyzed. So it seems like in this case concerning this man, it 
it seems like it means that this man was weak in some way or couldn't walk properly. We don't know for sure. Maybe he's some way paralyzed. And it says that this man was in that condition for 38 years, which obviously is a, is a really long time. If you notice in the passage that we read, if you have the verses in front of you, you notice that in this passage, it jumps from verse 3 to verse 5. And uh, that's because some manuscripts contain an explanation which the ESV took out. So the second half of verse 3, verse 4, some manuscripts, and maybe your Bible might have a footnote or something like that, um, contains an explanation of why the multitudes were gathered at this pool. So some Bible translations will include that information, that an angel of the Lord sometimes stirred the water, and the first to step into the water when the water was stirred would be healed. Now, obviously, the ESV, which we read, considers that to be not from the original manuscript, and so they omit it. But in any case, well, that, that'll probably come up in your life group discussion, and so that's, that's what's going on there. In any case, that seems to be have been the popular belief about this pool, and that's why these multitudes, invalids, have gathered here basically out of superstition, right? Hoping to be healed of their particular condition. Verse 6, when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had, been, uh, had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? Now at first, when we read that, it seems like a really unnecessary question. Of course he wants to be healed. That's why he's there. And presumably for a long time he's been there. Of course he wants to be healed. But Jesus asked that, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, verse 7, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred. Okay, so obviously that's what they believe, right? To actually go into the water. I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm, while I'm going and and while I am going, another steps down before me. So he's saying, I want to be healed. Do you want to be healed? Yes, I want to be healed, but I can't. Everyone else who's there also wants to be healed. And so obviously they're not going to help him. He has to get there by himself, but that's not possible because of his condition. So someone always beats him to the pool. Jesus' question, do you want to be healed, exposes his helplessness and his inability to heal himself. Now, if you picture this scene, this scene that Jesus comes to in Jerusalem, it's really symbolic, right, of the picture of humanity's plight. A multitude of invalids, blind, lame, paralyzed, people who need healing, hoping in a magical solution, a superstitious solution, hoping in this magical pool to heal them. Sinners who need healing, hoping in things that cannot heal and unable to heal himself. Um, I was watching um, a Chris Rock's Netflix stand-up comedy special, 
I think he put this out a few years ago after his divorce. And he talked about that experience in his, in his stand-up. He said, he said he was bad. And, you know, kind of strange, like in his comedy specials, he's talking about this. He said he was bad. He said success got to him. He thought he was something because he became so famous. And he said he was a bad husband. He treated his wife poorly. He was unfaithful in their marriage. And I guess going through all of those things, like having to fight for custody for his children and losing all his money and all of those things, going through all of those things, I guess made him realize that he needs to improve himself. And he talks about all this in this stand-up routine. Okay? And then in the middle of that, like he said, as a part of that, he said he's been trying to add some religion to his life. But then he goes, he doesn't want too much religion. He doesn't want to become a, a religious extremist, he says, but just enough, just enough religion to improve himself and to become a better person. I heard that, and I, I think that's pretty similar to how we often think in our lives, although we might not say it in those ways, but I think that's pretty similar because we see that there is a problem, right? There's a problem with me. There's a problem in me. I'm not a good person or I have these issues or I need to change in various ways. So that's what we do. We turn to our magical pool or even religion in some cases or some religious habits in some cases, hoping to be healed. But those are all ways that we hope in wrong things. And ultimately what that is, is me trying to save myself. And to this, Jesus comes, to this plight, to humanity's plight, Jesus comes and says, do you want to be healed? Because healing can only be found in Jesus Christ. But, but before we can find healing through Jesus, we often have to come to an end of ourselves. We have to come to an end of ourselves. And what I mean by that is I picture someone who is about to fall off the edge of a cliff, right? Like falling off means certain death. But then this person about to fall is holding onto a rope, desperately holding onto a rope. He's trying to pull himself up with all his might, but his hands are slipping. And when he finally comes to the end of the rope, he starts crying out, God. Help me. That's exactly what has to happen. We have to come to an end of ourselves where I truly realize that I cannot help myself. I cannot save myself when we ultimately seek hope in Christ. Why did this man have to suffer as an invalid for 38 years? Why couldn't God show up, show up sooner? Sometimes, God lets us go through things until we come to an end of ourselves, where I have no other places to turn, no other people to turn to, because only then we realize that Jesus is our only hope. The incapable invalid, a picture of humanity in need of the hope of Jesus Christ. Secondly, the instant healing. Now, when Jesus asks, do you want to be healed? 
the implication is that he has the power and the desire to heal you. Verse 8, Jesus said to him, "Take up, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, took up his bed, and walked. John specifically tells us that this happened at once. At once, the man was healed. A 38-year trial removed at once. What the man could not do for 38 years for himself, Jesus does in one moment. What the man couldn't do with all of his might, Jesus does with the breath of his word. Get up. And at once, the man was healed. And that's what John is pointing to here through this healing. Because the, the, the power of the word of God. Because this healing has spiritual parallels. Because later in this passage, Jesus says to the Jews who confront him in verse 25, Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Right? Exactly what Jesus just did physically, he's saying is happening spiritually. And in verse 28, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. So not only is it happening here spiritually, but he points to the end when the dead will resurrect to life by the power of the word of God. Jesus will say, get up, and the dead will rise from the tomb. These days, uh, a lot of people are making um, their homes smart, right? Not only do we have smartphones, now, we're, now we have smart homes. We have devices like Alexa and Google that turn your dumb home into a smart home. You can say things like, hey, Alexa, uh, turn the heat down and voila, it, 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 they do that. <laughs> turn the light on. Um, unlock the door, and you can do, do those kinds of things with a simple voice command. And that's really man's attempt to extend his authority to be God over his house. Um, but the thing is, there are limitations to what a smart home can do. We have a small, I don't know what you call it, a mini Google or something like that in our house. So I tried it. I said, hey, hey, Google, clean this house. And uh, uh, Google failed me. I said, hey, Google, make this house bigger. And the voice said, sorry, I don't understand. Um, there are limitations to what man can do even through Alexa or Google. But you see, the universe is God's house. And the power of God's word has no limitations. The word of God has power to bring us from death to life through faith in Jesus Christ. And so the relevant question for us is, do I believe that? Do I believe that? Jesus says, get up. I mean, think about that. To this person who had been sick for 38 years, get up, and at once, he's healed. Do I believe that, that at once, a stubborn sickness in my heart for 38 years 
can be instantly transformed and healed by the power of the Word of God. Out of everyone there, Jesus picks out this man and speaks to him. Think about that. He's been pathetic for 38 years, but now perhaps he's the the most blessed one. Right? Would you rather be this, this, uh, would you rather be, I mean, think about the, the, the scene there. Would you rather be one of the people who has the ability to use his legs and get into the pool himself? Or would you rather be the one that Jesus comes to and offers healing to? Think about that. For 38 years, he looks like the cursed one. But in the end, he might be the most blessed one. You see, there are many people in this world who think they're blessed while they're hoping in the wrong things. And maybe, maybe we fall into that trap as well, right? Hoping in the things that this world hopes in while all along it's a superstitious pool. More than anything else, let's seek to be the ones who are blessed, who encounter Jesus Christ. Let's be the blessed ones who hope in the power of the word of God. And that's what Jesus is offering to us every single day, every single morning. The power of his word at work in our lives to bring healing. The insane healing. Thirdly, the Sabbath police. And the verse nine, now that day was a Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is a Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your mat. Now, we know that it was unlawful to work on the Sabbath. But the thing is, this man wasn't actually working. If he had been a uh, bed salesman, for example, and he was moving beds around on the Sabbath, then he would have been working. But he was just carrying his bed home after being healed. So um, he's not really violating the Sabbath, God's law. But the thing is, the Jews had made up their own elaborate interpretations of the law of Moses in such a way that the law, in ways that the law was never intended to be used. So now these Jews come and confront this man because he's violating one of those extensive interpretations of working on the Sabbath laws that they made up. And if you think about it, what they say to this man is pretty pretty heartless and loveless, right? This man had been sick for 38 years. Think about that. For 38 years. And now he's finally healed and finally able to walk. They see this and they don't, they don't praise God for it. They're not even happy for him, right? Right? Rather, why are you doing that? And what's more important to them is that this person is violating their law. But he answered them, verse 11, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. Verse 12, they asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? It's, it's as if these Jews, 
like they, they have to take someone down for this. So now, you know, like they have something against this man who was healed. And they also have something against the one who healed him. It's like they have to get someone for this. Everyone who breaks their standard of the law has to account for it. Um, we'll talk more about these religious people next time, about how the healing of this invalid really connects to their own spiritual condition. But for now, I just want to look at their attitude of being the law police rather than loving others, because we're often guilty of this attitude ourselves. For example, you might get mad because the food you made in your shared apartment is missing, right? You're mad because someone ate my food again. So instead of like thanking God in that instance, right? Thanking God because, wow, I got to serve my roommate who was hungry. Instead of praising God that, oh man, God used me even in this one small way. Lord, thank you. Rather than that, get angry about it because we agreed. Like we agreed to certain rules in this apartment and you violated those rules. You see, in those ways, we prioritize our interpretation of the law over the priority of loving others. That's what inevitably happens when grace is missing from our hearts. I think, um, I think this is usually how it works. Uh, this is usually the pattern. God is gracious to me, so I will be gracious to others. God is gracious to me, so I will be gracious to others. I remember that God is gracious to me. I feel it. I've experienced it. So I will be gracious to others. Or for some people, there's an extra step in there. It goes like this. God is gracious to me, so I am gracious to me. And so I will be gracious to others. Right? God is gracious to me. I've experienced it. And it frees me to, to unload these burdens and be gracious to myself. And having been freed, now, now I can be gracious to others. When that pattern breaks down, that's when we become the Sabbath police, right? God is not gracious to me. Or at least like I haven't experienced it. I haven't gone to his word. I haven't sought him in the means of grace, prayer, or the word of God and things. So I, so, so I haven't experienced his grace for me. Therefore, I'm not, I'm not gracious to me. Therefore, I'm not gracious to myself. Like I'm still living with the constant burden of viol being a violator of God's law. I feel that burden constantly. I'm frustrated with myself. Therefore, I'm not gracious to others. My frustration of, uh, about myself as a violator of God's law gets taken out on others who I see also violating God's law. See, that's why when I catch myself being harsh on others, I have to look at my own heart. Why am I so frustrated? 
Why am I treating this person so harshly? Maybe I need to go to his word. Maybe it's not so much about what the person's, what that person's doing, but maybe I need to go to his word and experience his healing again. I have to be reminded of the wonder of the gospel for me. His grace, grace for me so that I can be gracious to others. So that I won't be the Sabbath police or the orange juice police or the compound chicken police in the apartment or something. Verse 13, now the man who had been healed um, did not know who it was for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. Jesus here connects his previous condition with sin. Now, um, we can't look at this and then assume that that's always the case, right? Because there are other passages, even in John, that tells us not to make that connection between sin and sickness. But that at least seems to be the case here. You are well, sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. Jesus heals him and says, sin no more, meaning um, live a different life now. After you've experienced this healing and the the touch of the power of the word of God. Live a different life now in response to his gracious touch in your life. Um, I'll just finish with this. You know, I was, um, uh, not too long ago, I was watching this, uh, this World War II documentary on, on Netflix and um, and it was you know it was fascinating like learned a lot of different things about the different like famous battles of the world war of World War two and the different um, main figures and characters and what drove them and the background things like that it was just you know very very fascinating to me as I was watching this documentary and then as I was watching it like something hit me um, I've, like whenever I heard of World War II, I always felt like the, the way that I perceived it previously was it was just some like it was something that happened like way 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 in the past like some prehistoric time or something, because you know people like uh, Churchill and um, whatever like Hitler and Stalin were they're like before my time. And like, it's just, you know, I, 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 in some ways, like grouped it together with like the Civil War or like the American War or like, you know, whatever. Just, there's just something that happened way in the past. But then as I was watching that, I, I realized that this war ended only 25 years before I was born. And then, and then I was, and then I, it, it struck me 25 years, not that, that long. 25 years ago from today, like I was, I can remember exactly what happened. Like I was in seminary and like it wasn't like that long ago, 
that's the thing. Like a lot of times we, we perceive things like that that happened prior to our time. And we, we put it way in the past. Um, and it just hit me. And maybe it's just, it's just something that inevitably happens with age. Right? Like, it wasn't that long ago. It's not like prehistoric history. I think the same could be said of our future. I think a lot of times the miscalculations that we make in our lives is that we think from based on our perception right now of where we're living in life right now, we think that this is like we have some some eons and eons of years ahead that we can live for God. But that's the thing. 25 years is not that long. Um, before you know it in an instant, uh, you're going to be your age plus 25. <laughs> and in an instant, that time will be gone. And then for me, like, 25 years, like, that's um, very close to, you know, to, to meeting Jesus Christ. And I think that's the kind of perspective that we need to have as we live our lives. Why is it that it's so easy for us to hope in the wrong things in this world or try to find our own way? or to think that we can save ourselves by pulling ourselves up with that rope and think that that's an okay way to live our lives. Why is it? Because many times we think, oh, I have 25 years, and I have 25 more years after that. But I think what the scripture's perspective is, is that the word of God is being given to us now. And you see, the power of God's word is that in an instant, in one moment, this moment right now, the word of God can come in and transform my heart and change me to be a different person. And Jesus says, now that you've been touched by the word of God, now that you've experienced the power of God, now that his grace has fallen on your heart, live a different life in light of the grace that you've received, in light of the power of the Word of God. Let's pray together. Let's pray because, you know, now we're starting a new semester, and uh, with a new semester, let's approach it with a, a new attitude, let's approach it with an attitude of faith, let's approach it with a perspective of taking our eyes off of the circumstances and fixing it on the Word of God. Um, over and over again, we need to go to His Word. We need to be reminded that under these circumstances, even though things might be different and hard in other ways, I have more than enough. I have more than enough to live my life for the Lord because the Word of God is with me. God is speaking to me. His power is at work within me. I want to live today for Him. 
I want my 25 years as I look ahead to be lived for his glory. And I uh, want to be gracious to others and extend his grace in my life and show that to the people around me. Let's just pray for a moment. that he would help us by faith to start off this semester well. If you could pray together for your life group that starts this week, let's pray for a great semester of uh, growing together, encouraging one another, and let's just ask for God to do some great things that only he can do uh, by his power that many people would be healed uh, as God's people gather together to encourage one another. Let's just pray together for that before we finish. Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy in our lives. We thank you that we are not alone. You give us one another, give us a community to go through our troubles together with. We thank you that your presence is with us. And we thank you that you give us your word. You're all sufficient word of God through which you speak to us and shepherd our lives. Help us to draw closer to you and use us to extend that loving kindness toward others in our lives. And pray, no matter what circumstances, that by faith, believers in Jesus Christ would thrive to bring glory to you. Strengthen us and just ask that you bless this semester. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, this incredible, unchanging covenant love, the love of the Father God, fellowship and the strength and the power of the Holy Spirit be with you both now 